Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashpitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Today's episode is a solo episode where I will be specifically discussing men's mental health and masculinity with research and insights from Jonathan Haidt and Dr. John Barry, and the American Institute of Boys and Men. Very, very important episode, so please listen, digest, absorb, and let me know what you think. And in other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So go ahead, click the link in the show notes, scroll through every single one of their products and see which ones might fit you and your wellness needs. Then once you get to checkout, use code everybody for $10 off your entire order. Now on to episode 213 of something for everybody. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Today's episode is a solo episode where I will be discussing masculinity and more specifically, men's mental health. So let's jump right in. Boys are in trouble. Many have withdrawn from the real world where they could develop the skills needed to become competent, successful, and loving men. Instead, Many have been lured into an ever more appealing virtual world in which desires for adventure and for sex can be satisfied, at least superficially without doing any of the work that would prepare them for later success in work, love, and in marriage. All of this withdrawal happened before the arrival of the metaverse, which is now just taking shape, and before the arrival of the increasingly compelling, witty, attractive, and customizable AI girlfriends. The virtual world is becoming more and more immersive and addictive. Every year, it will pull harder and harder on boys, urging them to abandon and withdraw from the real, real world. We've got to make the real world more appealing for them. The mental health crisis afflicting Gen Z is among the most serious of many serious problems we face in America today. And it should be noted, it should be noted that the problem is not uniquely American. It seems to be happening at the same time in the same way in all the other Anglosphere nations and in the Nordic regions. This is research according to Zach Roosh and I'm extremely concerned also about what's happening to girls extremely and to boys as well. But the important note here and the reason for this episode is that the struggles of boys have received far less attention. And I hope that is changing now. We can and we must figure out a way to help boys and men flourish too. We will discuss some ways how to help men here in this episode. We will discuss some ways how to do the work when it comes to our mental health. And we will also discuss some ways that we can um, focus on the fundamentals of and the foundation of being a human being who flourishes in this world and how we can be more role models, how we can set up communities. But I wanted to start off with that snippet 
from Jonathan Haidt, who's doing some amazing research around Gen Z, their mental health. He touched on it a lot in his first book, which was The Coddling of the American Mind. And this research that he's coming out with now is for his new book, The Anxious Generation. So I urge you to check out The Coddling of the American Mind in preparation for his new book, which is The Anxious Generation. And that's some really good work from Jonathan Haidt. And now we're just going to go through sort of the state of the union, some really alarming stats, facts, and uh, where really young boys are at today and maybe how we can help them moving forward. So boys and men are increasingly lonely and at a higher risk of suicide and deaths of despair. 15% of young men today said they don't have a close friend and a five-fold increase since 1990. This loneliness combined with a range of societal changes and pressures have resulted in a mental health crisis for American boys and men. Today, men are four times more likely than women to die by suicide, but 10 percentage points less likely than women to access mental health care. Those are very alarming statistics. Men, especially working class men, are struggling in our changing global economy. In the span of only a few decades, the U.S. labor market has been transformed as a result of structural changes in the economy. For example, offshoring and automation, fewer men are working. Many of those who are working have seen a big decline in their wages. Men make up the majority of workers in many industries most, most affected by automation. Today, men are less likely than women to graduate high school or earn a four-year college degree. Vocational training has been shown to boost earnings for men without bachelor's degrees, but investments in those programs have become very limited by multiple measures as just stated above and other and other measures boys have fallen behind in education over the last several decades girls have overtaken boys by nearly every metric in educational outcomes today boys are less prepared to start school and at nearly every point in their k-12 school career have lower gpas than girls boys are also less likely to take advanced placement courses and are less likely to graduate high school women make up the majority of students on america's college campuses girls are thriving and that is fantastic news amazing news but the data couldn't be more clear something something is not working for our boys family life is also changing but dads dads matter as much as ever we need that nuclear family unit and we need dads we need strong role models we need strong fathers education educational and labor market trends have transformed the economics of families in 41% of U.S. households today, women are the main breadwinner, but cultural expectations and valutations of fatherhood are lagging. The result is a national dad deficit. This not only affects women and children, but also hurts millions of American men who are disconnected from their families. So one of the reasons why it's so important to foster young boys to develop into great men is so that they can be great fathers, is so they can be great leaders in our community, they can be great dads, they can be present and loving and uh, dads, like that's super important. I was super lucky with a present and loving father still to this day, shout out to my dad. 
Um, but we need to be encouraging that and harnessing that in young boys. And, and maybe they don't want to be fathers, but at least they can be leaders in the community or they can be coaches on their sports team or they can be leaders in their religious communities or they can just be role models for other men who are, who are striving, who are doing great things, who are harnessing their masculinity, who are taking control of their mental health. And, you know, um, a lot of times we just we just tell young boys and young men to just to just man up, to figure it out, to, to go out and do it on your own. And, and, and there's some context to that. There's some places in our life where we do have to man up. We do have to strap up, but man up, not in this old, old archaic version of masculinity, but this new version of masculinity of, of taking care of ourselves, of manning up in a way to become the warrior poet, to become competent and confident and capable and compassionate and caring to sort of harness the power of, of, of like a Jedi who really has this healthy version of masculinity. But with all that said, if we do take personal responsibility and ownership over our life as men, and we teach that to young boys, there still needs to be some structural and societal changes to uplift and encourage the young men to be able to harness this version of masculinity because we're hearing toxic masculinity over and over and over again. And I'll touch a little bit more on that and how dangerous that term has become and how it's hindering our mental health more than it's helping our mental health. But yes, we we should encourage young boys and young men to take responsibility and ownership over their life. We should show them role models. We should get them into communities. We should teach them all of these things. But we also have to help them by having structural, societal, and cultural changes that allow them to flourish. And that's why I want to touch on what the American Institute for Boys and Men is doing. Where all those stats came from that I just read to you came from the American Institute for Boys and Men. And it's the only, the only national research organization dedicated to issues affecting boys and men. The American Institute for Boys and Men conducts nonpartisan research on issues that affect the well-being of boys and men across the United States and designs programs and policies to help them thrive. That's the point. Programs and policies to help them thrive because uplifting and encouraging men is better for society. Uplifting and encouraging women is better for society. The uplifting and encouraging both genders to be the absolute best version of themselves in greatest service of the world is the best thing we can have for the success of our society. <clears throat> And so at the American Institute for Boys and Men, they believe the challenges facing boys and men today deserve special attention, just what I've been touching on. While many men in America are thriving, great, millions of others are dropping out of the labor force, struggling with acute mental health challenges, which means very specific mental health challenges to the challenges that men face on a day-to-day -day basis. And... They're looking for their place in the changing world through research and policy design. We are dedicated to the flourishing of boys and men, the flourishing, the flourishing while emphasizing support for those navigating particular challenges and those navigating particular challenges include black boys and men and working class boys and men. So even in this, the whole sphere of boys and men, there's different branches that have particular um challenges that we have to emphasize as well. And again, that includes black boys and men, as well as those working class boys and men. So there's different branches to this. There's also particular challenges inside just the sect of boys and men. And so if we can um, create like what they're doing at the American Institute for Boys and Men, some policies, some societal changes, some programs for men, and then in those branches have some that are even more um, specific to the particular challenges that some boys and men are facing. I think it's awesome. And so at the um, 
American Institute for Boys and Men, they envision a world where all Americans, all Americans are able to achieve their full potential and are celebrated and are celebrated at home, at work and in their communities for their unique talents and contributions. That's it right there. Celebrated for their unique talents and contributions. This is the idea that we have to get across that every single person matters. They deeply matter. You have a moral obligation and a moral responsibility to become the best version of you because you matter so much to the fabric and the existence of our world. You matter so much to the success of our society, things you do, um, your unique talents, your contributions, your gifts, your efforts, your mistakes, all of those things matter. And so if we can become a society that really emphasizes drawing out this unique gifts and talents that you possess through communities, through support, through love, through encouragement, through um, you taking ownership and responsibility over your life and knowing that you have this divine light inside of you that you want to share with the world because you matter so much, because you have this moral responsibility and obligation to express those unique gifts and talents. And it's specific you know, at least for this episode for our young boys and growing into men. Very important. So now what's some actionable items that we can look at here? That's what's really important, right? Some actionable items that we can think about and look at. So when it comes to our mental health specifically, we have to do the work. But mental health is sort of this invisible, hard to grasp thing. And so some people wonder, what does doing the work actually look like, specifically when it comes to our mental health? There's some foundational pillars um, like moving well, eating well, sleeping well, thinking well that are going to give you a good base layer. We have to be brilliant at the basics. Champions are willing to do the basics every single day. Consistency on those fundamentals every single day, which is moving well sleeping well, thinking well, and eating well, right? But outside of that, how can we do the work on our mental health? What does that mean? What does that look like? How can I take responsibility and ownership over my emotional health, my emotional well-being, and my mental fitness? Well, it looks like this. Here's just seven tips, seven things to start addressing and looking at when it comes to getting in the trenches and starting to focus and do the work on our mental health. So number one is learning to specifically identify your feelings while letting them have a voice and be heard. So being able to label and diagnose what feelings you might be having. Am I anger? Am I angry? Excuse me. Am I sad? Am I overwhelmed? Am I uh, rejected? Am I, uh, you know, somber? Whatever these feelings that might arise, be able to sit with them, have them, label them, let them have a voice and be heard, but we're not letting it... Um, we're not wallowing in them. We're not letting it transform us. We're just allowing these emotions to be identified specifically while letting them have a voice. Okay, I am feeling a bit angry now. Okay, I am feeling a bit overwhelmed. Now the next would be what action steps can we take to help us have those feelings just pass or alleviate those feelings or get some support or start moving our body to get ourselves into our body so we can allow ourselves to relieve those emotions, but learning to specifically identify your feelings while letting them have a voice and be heard is very important. And then the next, next step is having awareness of 
and examining your beliefs, values, and habits. Your beliefs, values, and habits drive your day, right? What are your beliefs? What are your values? What are your habits, right? The number one thing, the number one thing you can do right now to improve your life is to stop doing the things that make you feel like shit. That's your habits. And those habits are driven by your belief systems. Your, what are your beliefs? Okay, figure those out. What are your values? What are your core value? What are your first principles? Is it zest, resilience, consistency, love, honesty, gratitude, hope, kindness? Are those your values? What are they? Pick three to seven and really hone in on how you want to live. Those values should be what drives how you think, feel, and act, which then drives your behaviors, which then drives your habits. It's all in alignment with your core values and how you wish to show up in the world. And again, going back to how you wish to express those unique talents and gifts. So it's important. And then number three, it falls in line with number two, would be to um, identify how your beliefs and values impact your behaviors and actions. That's what we just talked about. Like, how do you, your core values impact how you behave and impact how you act? How do your beliefs impact how you behave and impact how you act? You have to take an inventory on this. You have to take a reset. If your life isn't going in the trajectory where you want it to go, or you don't feel the way you want to feel on the more consistent basis, okay, then let's let's identify our beliefs and values and how they're impacting our behaviors. Because if we know, again, the things that are not making us feel good, we have to stop doing those. And the things that we know that could potentially make us feel better, we have to start doing those. But we have to reflect on that. We have to journal on that. We have to think about what's going well, um, what could go better, and how can we go about making that better, but acknowledging also what's going well. So identifying our beliefs and values and how they impact our actions. Number four, we have to address and acknowledge unhealed past trauma and pain. And this could be through a, a men's group, through a hiring a professional, um, whatever the case may be is, but we have to dig deep into our depths and look at our shadow and address it because everyone has a shadow. Everyone has this darkness inside of them, but we have to come to terms with it. We can't continue to avoid and repress and shut down. We have to voluntarily, voluntary is very important, voluntarily go and face the dragon and we will slay the dragon, but there'll be another dragon and another dragon and another dragon. We have to continually face it head on, take challenge or take on the challenge. Obstacles make me stronger and we have to address and acknowledge that unhealed past trauma and those wounds so we can let go, be freer and become that best version of ourselves and not let the weight of our past continue to drag us down or affect our upcoming relationships or impact the way we speak to our kids or our wife or our partner or our boss or the way we hold ourselves back because we think we're not worthy of this or don't give us permission to go out and get something, right? All of these things are impacted by that. And so we have to address it. We have to acknowledge it. We have to try and heal it through whatever sort of means are possible and able for you. Number five, notice unhelpful thinking patterns and behaviors that no longer serve you, right? This is just an idea of being aware, right? Um, if we're not aware, we can't recognize, we can't change. It's awareness, it's acceptance, it's action. Become aware of how you're thinking, your unhelpful thinking patterns, how you're feeling, your emotions you're feeling, um, where you're at in your life. Be aware of that. 
And then accept the fact that this is happening. Accept the fact that you might be angry or you might be sad or you might be not be in the position that you specifically want to be in. Have to accept it. Can't fight reality, but we can't accept it and move from there. Acceptance isn't complacency. Acceptance is our starting point. That means that we can absolutely move up from there. And that's the beauty of it, right? And so we're noticing that and then we're moving into action. Everything is action, action, action. We have to be able to take control of our mental health. That's why I'm giving you these tools to do the work right? It's not just this esoteric thing that you can't grab onto. There are specific actionable items that you can do right now to improve your mental health, along with moving well, eating well, sleeping well, and thinking well. That will absolutely impact your physiology, which impacts deeply your mental and physical state, right? But this is what doing the work is, right? You have to notice that. You have to have awareness. You have to have acceptance, and then you have to move into action. And then number six would be identifying, creating, and setting clear boundaries with yourself and others, right? You just have to have emotional parameters in your life. Emotional parameters for you and other people, emotional parameters for what you will and won't do, how you say no, practicing how you say no, being able to say no, being firm in your stance, understanding what does and what doesn't serve you, what's in alignment with you and what isn't in alignment with you. That really falls down into your core values and your first principles. If you're really like dialed in to your first principles and your core values, it's much easier to say no because you absolutely 100% know that it doesn't align with you. If you're wishy-washy about your first principles, you don't really know where you stand. It's very easy to say yes to everything. But when you know them, saying no is not as hard because you understand who you are and where you want to be in this world. And that's very, very, very important. And so um, number seven, it just sort of sums everything up. We just have to know that growth will be uncomfortable. It will be uncomfortable. And a lot of times this work, when we go into the trenches, when we go into the depths of our own soul, it's lonely. It's lonely and it can be lonely. So prepare, be prepared for the inner work to be a bit lonely. But when we come out on the other side as a new, better uh, more in tune version of ourselves that was always there all along. All this dormant potential was there all along and you were capable of expressing that best version of you. That work may be a little lonely because we have to go into our shadow because we have to go into the depths of hell and figure out what's happening we have to figure out what's happening and then move from there. We have to identify these patterns. We have to do the work. We have to address unhealed pain. We have to go back into our past. We have to think about our thinking patterns. We have to dial deep into our first principles. All of that will be uncomfortable, but that's the only place that we grow. That's the only place we grow from through reflection, through practice, through action. And so we have to be willing to go in the trenches. We have to be willing to do the uncomfortable work. We have to be willing to do the lonely work to figure out who we really are and who we really want to be and to take control and ownership over our life and more specifically over our mental health. So that's a little bit of what doing the work looks like and then I want to present to you this um, infographic and acronym that is specifically um, how we can help um, a man a man dealing with his mental health now this is from the Center of Male Psychology where Dr. John Barry does some amazing work the American Institute of Boys and Men is, is, is Richard Reeves um, the Center for Male Psychology is Dr. John Barry those are two great resources and great human beings who are at the forefront of trying to help men and their mental health and help men really flourish to become their best selves and so this is a B 
male friendly and he won't be a clam a clam is the acronym um, if you sense something is wrong the following might help so the a stands for anger so anger can be a sign of distress he might look annoyed rather than sad and he might want to drink or spend longer on addictive internet activities than usual rather than talk okay so that's just a sign okay anger might be the sign and then the c is what is comfortable for him what is comfortable for him don't insist he fits into your way of dealing with things if he wants to walk and talk in the park not a therapy clinic then try that a lot of men like action the way you treat a women's mental health issue is not the same way you treat a men's mental health issue right men need action we need to be able to take control and so a walk and talk could be much more suited to our biology and who we are as people rather than sitting in a therapy clinic and and just talking right both sort of lead to the same place if you listen to my episode with phil mitchell episode 209 this is episode 213 we specifically talked about how he changed his wording around that and once he changed his wording about around that to be more action oriented for men he saw more people wanted to come into his clinic because he specifically works with men who've been sexually abused and so we want to make it what's comfortable for them right so don't insist into fitting into whatever your box is fit into what is most comfortable for them which could be a a walk and talk which could be a gym session you're still getting to the point of maybe what caused them to be angry or what's their sign of distress you're still getting to the root of the cause but in a different way than just sitting and talking and then the next would be l which is what's going on in his life he might not show it, but he might feel serious pressure if he has problems with things like relationships, work, or money problems or legal issues, right? We're just thinking about what's going on in his life because a lot of times when we think about psychological issues or mental health issues, it's not just living in the brain. It's something happening in our environment that's causing us stress or pressure. And a lot of times with men, we feel like a burden. We feel like we have the weight of the world on our shoulders. We feel like we need to provide and protect everyone all the time and we can never ask for help so there could be serious serious pressures that we're facing so if you specifically ask and wonder what's going on in someone's life and then we feel supported in that right we feel like oh this person actually has an interest on in what I might be feeling and what's going on with me instead of just saying hey man up suck it up it's gonna be all right just figure it out right well eventually we will figure it out but we'd like to be acknowledged in that support in this struggle so you have to figure out in tunely what's going on in his life and the best way to do that is to listen is to listen and actually care and ask questions what's going on in your life what might have caused you to be uh, angry or sad or overwhelmed or feel all this serious pressure did someone get fired at work so now you feel like you have an extra load like um, what's happening did you get a task that you didn't know that you could complete um, is something happening at home like is your wife sick like what, what there's so many things that could be going on that could be adding to the pressure that a man might feel and why his mental health might be a little bit down or a little bit uh, skewed and then a um, is try activities as well as talking again i mentioned this before talking to a therapist can be great but if you would rather not 
then try other things such as playing football or joining a men's shed or a men's league or a men's group, right? Where he can be around other men, other role models, right? That's just a big key when we think about men and their mental health, right? That's why role models are huge. That's why men's groups are huge. That's why community is huge. That's why you see all of these men's groups where they go out and they do stuff. They do stuff with their hands. And then eventually, yes, they talk because eventually we have to get down to the root cause of our issues. We have to address our underlying pain. I spoke about that when talking about doing the work when it comes to our mental health. But this is just a nice acronym to think specifically, how can I talk to men if uh, the man in my life is, is feeling some type of way? I have to see it this way, not as how I want to see it or how we normally see it or fit the man into a mold. I have to think about, okay, what is his biology like? What is his makeup like? How do men like to be talked to? And how can they best open up and serve them? And it's about taking control, taking action and taking ownership. And how can we give them the permission and the power to do so? And so activities like that are very important. Groups like that are very important. And communities like that are very important. And the last one, M, is see the man, not the myth. See the man, not the myth. Blaming his problems on masculinity or patriarchy might misunderstand his situation and he might end up feeling worse. So this uh, acronym Again, is by Dr. John Barry, Martin Seeger, and Louis Fadon. Um, and for further information, go to the Center for Male Psychology, where they have just an unbelievable amount of information, right? So you can use a clam to remember the five pointers to help a man who may be in difficulty. So that's just specific actions to think about how we can help the men in our life along with doing the work. Um, but it really boils down to thinking about our fundamentals. Right. If we can encourage everyone, not just men, to get really, really brilliant at the basics, at the fundamentals of moving, eating, sleeping and thinking, we then take control and ownership over our physiology, which deeply impacts our physical health, our mental health and our emotional well-being. And so if we can move well, we can eat well, we can think well, and we can sleep well, we have control over those things. And we want to focus all of our attention and effort over the things we have control over. And we have control over those things. A lot of times with these really terrible and tragic events in our life, we didn't have control over them. They weren't our fault. But what's always in our control is our response and our response to our difficult situations or to our mistakes or to our tragic situations is essentially who we become as people and who we become as people is based on our fundamentals, our basic fundamentals of moving well, sleeping well, thinking well and eating well. So really dial in on those. Think about doing the work. Think about that acronym that I said. And we're starting to just really be able to move the needle forward when it comes to encouraging and uplifting our young boys to become these beautiful, strong, powerful, capable, competent young men that we need, the warrior poet that jo John Lovell talks about. Now, the last thing we'll talk about is, is masculinity. So I'll give you a quote here from Robert A. Johnson. If the masculine mind tries to live without its other half, the feminine soul, then the masculine becomes unbalanced, sick, and finally monstrous. Power without love becomes brutality. Feeling without masculine strength becomes wooly sentimental. So toxic masculinity is toxic terminology. We all need to stop using toxic terminology such as toxic masculinity because it's impossible 
because it is possible these ideas are being internalized by men and boys and impacting them negatively. In some cases, men with serious mental health problems may act out, quote unquote, in antisocial behaviors, so it is likely that toxic terminology in media, schools, government, and elsewhere is actually increasing the likelihood of behaviors they are intended to reduce. Instead, it might help if we highlight more of the ways that masculinity can be a positive influence on society and men. Okay, so young boys hear the messaging of toxic masculinity. And they think to themselves when they're very young, they think, oh, masculinity is toxic. I'm a man. I have masculine energy. So that means I must be inherently bad and wrong. So I have to withdraw. I have to suppress my masculine energy so I don't fuck anything else up. So if we're giving that message to young boys, then how hard is it then for them to develop and grow into and harness this healthy version of masculinity, which we need for the overall success and fabric of our society. So we can't use this toxic terminology to describe masculinity. Masculinity is like a hammer, okay? Masculinity is like a hammer. A hammer can be used to build a house or a hammer can be used to smash someone in the head. The hammer itself is not inherently good or bad. It's how it's used. It's how it's used. It makes it either quote unquote good or bad. So if we can as a society through cultural programs, role models and communities and sports show young boys what healthy, strong masculinity is, then masculinity becomes something as a tool that we use for the greater good. Becoming confident and competent and caring and compassionate. Those are what we want to try and possess as a healthy version of masculinity. And so removing this idea that it's toxic, telling young boys that they're inherently bad for having masculine energy. We need masculine energy. Everyone has masculine energy. Young boys just need to be able to learn how to use it for the greater good, just like using a hammer to build a house or to build a home or to build something. That hammer is used for good. Masculine energy must be used for good. And we have to be role models and we have to have policy and programs like the American Institute of Young Boys and Men and the Male Center for Psychology are currently doing, but we have to recognize that within ourselves. Women, men, everyone has to recognize that, yeah, masculinity has done some toxic things, sure, just like femininity, but if we inherently say that it's everything about masculine energy is toxic, then we're doing a disservice to our young boys who won't grow up to be the men that we need them to be. And so we have to teach them how to harness this masculine energy in a way that's productive, in a way that's helpful to society. Again, focusing on moving well, eating well, sleeping well, and thinking well so we can grow into the warrior poet. We can grow into the Jedi. We can grow into this competent, confident, capable, compassionate, caring men who can be of service to his community, to his family, and to the world. That's what we're trying to do when it comes to masculinity. And so my hope is that we can come to a shared recognition that many of our boys and men are in real trouble, not of their own making, and need our help. They need our help. The pathologization, the this has been multiple episodes where I have a hard time saying this word. The path all edgization. <laughs> oh, man, this is hilarious. Anyways, 
um, pathologizing, there we go, got it, of masculinity is counterproductive to the goal of helping men take care of both themselves and others. It's counterproductive, like I just said. So simply labeling masculinity or men in general as toxic is not productive. It's not a productive course of action and it doesn't help anyone. Gender equality isn't a zero sum game and empathy shouldn't be either. So we have to have empathy for our young boys. We have to do these things that I've stated in this episode, and we have to learn how to say pathologization. <laughs> uh, man, hilarious. But anyways, for real, um, to end this up, to wrap it up, please, we have to think about all of these things in a very serious way. Our young boys and men are in real trouble. They need our help. Thankful to the um, Male Center for Psychology and the American Institute for Young Boys and Men who are doing the work. I wanted to explain it here on this episode, how we think about men's mental health, how it's a little bit unique, how we can start to think about masculinity and how we can start to teach our young boys and men to harness this real healthy version of masculinity so they can grow in and flourish into the men that we need for the overall success of our society. So thank you for tuning in and I'll see you guys next time. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to that very important episode. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporter via Patreon. Patreon directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit called You Are Loved. So thank you for listening and thank you in advance for your support. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.